say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need to hear from God this morning. I don't know if you feel that, that, that kind of desperate hunger in your soul. Like, I need, I need truth again. We, we live in a world of, we could say, error, of untruth. We're hearing it all the time. We're influenced by it all the time. You can't watch, even today, a Disney movie <laughs> without facing just the false agendas of our world. We feed on that stuff. We call it entertainment. And we need something of real truth to actually satisfy our souls. We need spiritual food uh, to eat this morning. So John chapter 10 is where we're going to be at. I'm going to read the passage as you see on the screen, verses 22 through 30. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. It states this, at the time of the Feast of Dedication, as this feast took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered to them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And here's the, the main verse that we'll be looking at. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Uh, let's just pray. Let's pray. Let's get before the Lord and just ask his blessing upon our time. God, we thank you uh, for your, your kindness to us. You set your face like a flint to Jerusalem. You knew exactly where you were to go. You knew exactly what was to unfold at Jerusalem as those palm branches were waved in honor of you, were set on the ground before you. Jesus, we thank you that you rode in under a great celebration, but by week's end it would not be a celebration. There would be great anger. There would be murder. There would be a broken body. There would be blood poured out for the sins of the world. Jesus, we honor you as king. There is no one in this world or in history beyond you who has acted in such kindness as king that you would live for us and die for us, and in so doing, solve the greatest need of our own hearts. So, Lord, we pray this morning that we would hear from you again. We need to hear your voice, King Jesus. We need to hear from you. We need your word brought to bear upon our souls again. And so we bless you. We honor you. 
as the one who faithfully went into Jerusalem in great kindness and love to those who were far off. But thank you that by your blood you've brought us near to God. So we thank you. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Come and direct our time. We love you. We honor you. As we just sang, we're here for you. We're here for you to hear from you. So Lord, would you speak to us even now? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, throughout this series that we've been going through over the last so many weeks now, um, we've been attempting to answer this question, and that is, how do I unbusy my life? Uh, and again, by busy, we just don't mean that we're trying to uh, slow down the activity of our life, but what we're actually speaking of is something within this anxious hurriedness within that makes me feel like I've got to go, 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 do, 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 accomplish, 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 control things, do things, achieve things, so I feel good about myself. How do we stop that? How do we stop that inner hurriedness of the soul that actually just leaves us a bit more shriveled in soul. As we've said before, it causes us to actually skim through life without actually living life. It makes us less and less human to be about this busy, hurried life. And so how is it that we unbusy our souls. And the main kind of phrase that we've been using is this, if we want to experience the life of Christ, if we want to know the rest that he promises, if we want to know something substantial of soul, if we want to know what it is to be human, we must put on the lifestyle of Christ, right? If we want to experience the life of Christ, we must put on the lifestyle of Christ. And so we've been learning these disciplines, Solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, slowing, and sacrifice, right? But this morning, what I want to do is draw your attention not so much to the lifestyle of Christ per se, not to the disciplines, but to the experience of the life of Christ. Get what I'm saying? Like those disciplines that we're trying to put into place in our lives is an attempt to slow ourselves down, not just so I'm kind of a more wholesome person. Uh, you know, our, our aim here is not just kind of like self-help therapy to just make you a better version of you. Our aim as pastors is to ensure that spiritual disciplines are placed into our lives that would actually create space and actually um, create something of quietness to our lives by which we might connect with God. The whole aim is not just a better life. The aim is that you would connect with God, that you would experience something of life in Christ, with Christ, engaged with him. There is depth of relationship to be found with him. And so these spiritual disciplines of solitude and Sabbath and simplicity and slowing and sacrifice are for that aim, connection with God. Or as you see entitled on the screen, it's for the purpose of hearing the voice of God. Right? We want to give ourselves to the lifestyle of Christ so we would actually hear the voice of God. Now, we won't take time today to perhaps see this in full, 
But the aim of the disciplines in Christ's life were for the purpose of hearing from and responding to his Father. So, Jesus practiced solitude. Why? Because he wanted to listen to the voice of his Father. Right? He practiced and taught about Sabbath. Why? Well, as a means for which to connect with his Father. It's not just a day of rest. It's not just a day off when it comes to Sabbath, as we've talked. Right? It's for the purpose of communion and relationship with the Father. Jesus taught about simplicity as the means by which we might hone our heart to treasure and take delight in the Father. Jesus exemplified slowing as a means to keep in step with his Father. That is to say that all these disciplines in Jesus' life were but ways to hear the voice of his Father. You get it? He did what he did because he wanted to stay engaged with his father. Folks, it's important that you would recognize that even the Old Testament, before Jesus actually shows up on the scene, the Old Testament, it couldn't even envision this Messiah or this Jesus apart from this aim to hear the voice of his father. So Isaiah 50 is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. It states this. It's the Messiah figure speaking. And he says, the Lord God, the Father, he has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. That's what Jesus did. He sustained people with his word. But notice, morning by morning, the Father awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Who does this sound like? Jesus. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. You see, the Old Testament, it couldn't even envision this Messiah figure without this understanding that his life was going to be defined by hearing the voice of God, that God was going to wake him up morning by morning to grant him something of a word that he might utilize to sustain others with. In other words, the Messiah was one who would live his life in communion to the Father. The life of Christ, as we then see in the New Testament, was centered upon this real active relationship with the Father. His aim was to hear the voice of his Father, so that even in John chapter 4, you remember the woman at the well. He sits with her as the disciples go into town to get food, and as they bring the food back out to him, he says, I have food that you know not of. That it is the Father's word that is nourishment to my soul. It's his voice that is nourishment to me. That is where the soul deepens. That is where the soul is enriched. That's where spiritual, and I would dare even say emotional health is found. 
The disciplines, as we see in Jesus' life, as we've been called to participate in, are not just an aim in themselves. The aim of the disciplines is to hear the voice of God. Now, I assume, I assume, right, that this idea of hearing the voice of God comes with uh, plenty of questions, right? Does God speak personally to us? Can God speak to me if my Bible is closed? And if so, how do I know it's him? How do I know it's not something else or someone else or just my own thoughts? Well, what I want to do first is to take you to the text that we just read and then actually deal with some practicalities on how we hear the voice of God. So in John chapter 10, verse 22, the Apostle John has just recorded Jesus uh, teaching on the good shepherd. Uh, Jesus will say, I'm the one who gives life and life abundantly. The good life is found in being led by the good shepherd. Right? But then in verse 22, we have a new situation that arises within the narrative. And, and the same theme of shepherding gets kind of carried along. So verse 22, we see that it's the time of the Feast of Dedication. Now there's an irony just in that particular statement. The Feast of Dedication was not a biblical feast. It was more of a traditional feast for the Hebrew people. It was from the time prior to Jesus where the Seleucids had come in and overtaken God's people and had desecrated the temple. Antiochus Epiphanes comes in and he actually um, offers unclean animals upon the altar and then takes the blood of those unclean animals and drips them over the scrolls uh, of the priests there. And so the, the temple is desecrated. But there is this priest named Judas Maccabeus who comes in and actually there's a revolt that happens. Right? And as they bring about this revolt, the Seleucids are pushed back and they rededicate the temple. Therefore, the Feast of Dedication. Right? They're celebrating how this revolt had taken place and how, in their view, the temple was restored. But there is such irony in this. This is a moment in this narrative where they are celebrating a deliverer of God's people who rededicated the temple to the Lord when before them stands the true deliverer, God in flesh, who as John chapter 1 verse 14 earlier, has come to temple or tabernacle among them. It is to say the very presence of God is no longer bound by the four walls of that temple, but now stands in temple before them in human flesh, to deliver them from the great enemy of sin and Satan. This is the irony of the text. These Jewish people who stand before Jesus and they're, will you just make this clear to us? And most likely they're trying to undermine Jesus. They're trying to trick him, trying to get him to say something that they can use against him. And the irony is he stands as the great deliverer, the one who is entempled, incarnate before them, God in flesh before them to deliver them, and they can't see the glory of the one who stands before them. It is a sad moment, but it's in the midst of this irony that they question Jesus, again, seemingly not on, out of true interest to know him, 
but out of a hope that he would say something whereby they might use it against him. So they asked, notice verse 24, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus goes on to say, I've already told you. I've done the signs and wonders. And still, verse 26, you don't believe because you are not part of my flock. Jesus states then in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. What is Jesus saying? What is he, what is he really saying in these moments? It seems as though Jesus is saying that the fundamental evidence of a Christian is hearing the voice of God. The fundamental evidence of a Christian is hearing the voice of God, but even more to Jesus' point, to those skeptical Jews, if you don't hear the voice of God, it just doesn't merely exclude you from the flock, but it indicts you. You catch it? The fact that they cannot hear his voice, that they cannot discern who Jesus is, is actually evidence for their condemnation. That's why Jesus will go on in verse 28 to say that the one who hears my voice, I give them eternal life. They're never going to perish, Jesus says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The fundamental evidence of the Christian of one who is saved, who has come to faith in Jesus, is hearing the voice of God. But the fundamental evidence of a non-Christian, those who will perish, is not hearing the voice of God. That's the whole point here. And we should just, we should just say it. You were designed for communion with God. Your soul cannot be what it was created for apart from communion with God. Our souls are enriched. Our souls are deepened. We come into the reality of our humanity, the good life, when we stand in communion with our God. That's why Jesus came, right? What's the fundamental reason by which Jesus came? The fundamental reason he came is to bridge the gap that our sin has created so that we might be reconciled to God, so that we might have fellowship with God. This is the fundamental reason for which Jesus came, even in earlier in the chapter, chapter 10, verse 15, and again in a few verses after it, Jesus will say, I laid down my life for the sheep. Jesus died to bridge the gap that our sins had created for the express purpose that you who didn't have fellowship with God, might have fellowship with God, that you who did not hear his voice might now hear his voice. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus died. Now, I want to be careful here. I, I, I would expect that for some of you, you might be saying, well, I don't feel like I hear the voice of God, so what does that mean for me? Does that mean I don't know Jesus? I don't want to take that feeling away from you exactly. Because we should all sit here and reading this text, we should all be challenged by the fact 
or by the question, do I hear the voice of God? But we have to actually answer the question first, what does it mean to hear the voice of God? What are we talking about when we talk about hearing the voice of God? Hearing the voice of God is not something that necessarily happens with your physical ears. For instance, think about maybe when you came to faith in Jesus. Maybe it was at camp, maybe you walked that aisle, you know, maybe it was with a, a parent or something as they shared the gospel with you. You, you probably wouldn't say that you heard the voice of God, but you clearly in those moments responded to the gospel. Something happened where you heard truth and your soul actually apprehended it. There was a spirit-to-spirit -spirit kind of communication that took place between you and God where God declared to your dead soul, live. And you suddenly had ears to hear and apprehend his voice. Again, you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, I heard the voice of God, but something within you, your spirit responded to the truth of his word. You see, when we talk about hearing the voice of God, we don't necessarily mean that we hear an audible voice. In fact, throughout Scripture, we find that God communicates, if we could say it this way, in technicolor. It's not just in one way. It's not just kind of in one mode. God speaks in technicolor. Even it should, we should uh, even reference, like, just look at your Bible for crying out loud. There's genres, there's poetry, there's history, there's narrative, there's apocalyptic genre, right? Really strange stuff. He's speaking to us in all kinds of different ways. So what are some of the ways that God may speak to us? I got eight of them. There's probably, well, there's more, all right? First, God speaks to us through circumstances. Take, take for instance, the story of Jonah. All right, Jonah runs from God. What happens? Storm comes. They're like, we're tossing this guy overboard, right? He's tossed overboard. What does God send? A fish, right? God uses circumstances to speak and direct Jonah's life, even to the end of the story where God sends a worm to eat the plant that's giving Jonah shade. We see this also, though, in Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul was forbidden to go to minister in Asia. The Holy Spirit closed the door on it. Now, some of us, we live our lives according to that particular theology. Well, if God opens the door, then it must be at his will. And if it's closed, well, then it's not his will. But we have to be careful of that because there are times even in Scripture where the door seems to be closed or there is warnings to be careful of what's happening next. And, for instance, when Agabus prophesies to Paul. He says, you're going to be bound and chained, and it's not going to go good for you if you go to Rome. But what is, and even the people are like, ooh, don't, that, that's, that's God's saying, the door is shut, don't, don't go there. And what does Paul do? He says, no, this is what God has intended for me. I must go. So we have to be careful, even in taking, number one, the circumstances of our lives, that open, closed-door theology, and just because it's open, it doesn't always mean that it's God's voice. It doesn't always mean that that's the thing that you're to step into. He may actually be calling you to the more difficult path, and he's calling you to a greater sense of faith 
to be exercised in that. So we have to be careful. We have to reconcile, number one, with the other ways in which God speaks to us. Okay? So secondly, God speaks to us through a whisper. We have Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, where God demonstrates his power to him by coming to him first in this windstorm that, as scripture says, shatters the mountains. It is this display of God's power. And then an earthquake comes as a display of God's power. But God's not in the earthquake. He's not in the windstorm. Then finally, this fire comes again to show off God's power, but God is not in it. And even after all those displays of God's power and might, then God comes to Elijah with a whisper. He sometimes just whispers to us. You think of Samuel in the night where he hears Samuel, Samuel, and he thinks it's Eli, right? So sometimes God speaks to us in those senses. It is an audible thing that he speaks like a whisper, and a whisper to us. Third, though, God speaks to us through our own thoughts. Uh, We could go to the New Testament and give some theology to this, that those who are the Lord's are one with his spirit, and so God uses the very faculties that we have to actually communicate to us. But as Amos 4 verse 13 says, just listen carefully, the God who declares to man his thoughts His name is the Lord of heaven's army. God can even be sovereign over our thought. He can utilize our own thoughts to communicate to us. We also have then dreams and visions. I got to just read this Job 33 to you. Job 33, 15. For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, while they slumber in their beds, then he opens the ears of men. Do you know that he speaks to us through visions and dreams? Do you know that even in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it's visions and dreams that are to characterize God's communication to us in the New Testament church. Your dreams are not just dreams. Now, dreams can come from many other places than just God, but God will often invade those dreams that come from other places to speak to us. And so we need to be aware. These are things we need to study as a church. How is God going to speak? These are things that we discern, we grow in in understanding. This is the very genre that we see from the book of Revelation, man. It's kind of weird and scary. It's like, what are these beasts and these things? And I don't know how all this stuff works, but it's all symbolic and communicating something of God's truth to us. So he uses the same kind of means, the same kind of genre to speak to you. Remember the text here, John 10? He says, those who know me will hear my voice and I know them. That's not just he knows about you. He knows what you like. He knows what your day was like. He knows all the stuff about you such that when he communicates to you in dreams and visions, guess what? He's going to use the people you know in those dreams. He's going to use circumstances that you're aware of. He's going to utilize something of your own kind of uh, way of understanding to communicate to you. That's a personal thing that God does for us. He speaks to us through visions, and he speaks to us through dreams. He'll speak through natural manifestations. We know this from Psalm 19, that 
Even the heavens declare the glory of God, that creation is constantly revealing, speaking to us about who God is. Romans chapter 1 will actually say um, that all people are without excuse before the Lord because they should see creation and say there's a designer behind it all. They're without excuse. They'll suffer judgment because they didn't hear the voice of God speaking, testifying even through creation that he is the one who has created all things. John chapter 12, just brief. Uh, John chapter 12 is a fantastic little passage. Um, in John chapter 12, Jesus is about to go to the cross and, and he's, he, he's crying to the Father, Father, like glorify your name. I'm going to fulfill your will. And the Father says, he, he says, I will glorify my name and it will be glorified. And, and in that moment, the people around Jesus, some heard the voice of the Father. Others said, oh, that must have been the voice of angels. While others, all they heard was thunder. to recognize that there are natural manifestations of God's communication to us, which we need spiritual discernment to ascertain, to apprehend it. We also know that God speaks through supernatural manifestations. He speaks through a burning bush. One that I didn't throw in here, he speaks through a donkey. All right, pretty amazing stuff. God speaks in technicolor. He can use even a donkey to speak. It's incredible. Right? God uses all these various means to communicate. We know 1 Kings even 18, God communicates even by coming in, in fire and, uh, and, and consuming the altar there on Mount Carmel. We see that Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, he says, if I cast out demons in my father's name, well, you better know that the kingdom, it communicates that there is a power and authority that has arrived on earth through Jesus. His kingdom has arrived. It communicates something to us just by way of the supernatural signs and wonders that take place. And we see this even from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. That we are to continue in this ministry of Jesus as the church. And so we are to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. These are supernatural manifestations of God's presence that communicates truths to people such that they, the secrets of their heart are exposed and falling on the ground, they begin to honor God. God works through supernatural manifestations. Of course, then uh, uh, God communicates through people. Romans chapter 10, how are people going to hear without a preacher? Someone telling them the gospel. God can speak through the preaching of people, the teaching of people, the prophetic ministry, even counsel of others. But finally, and um, if there's one of these points that you better get, it's the eighth one. God speaks to us through his word. Even scripture defines itself by saying this is the breathed word of God. It came from God's own lips as the Holy Spirit came upon holy men and had them write to the very counsel that we have right now. It came from God. It's objective truth. It is his word. And Hebrews 4 says it's powerful. It's sharp. It can cut right down into us to the deep things of our heart and life and lay our hearts bare. This is God's word, but I also want to throw a caveat in there. Just because you read this, 
doesn't mean you're hearing God's voice. You realize that, right? You need the spiritual ears to apprehend it. That's why Jesus can actually uh, rebuke the religious leaders of the day saying, "You, you know this stuff inside and out. You have most of that Old Testament even memorized. You could say it by way of oral tradition at the snap, you know, at the, at the drop of a hat. You can do this. But it's not, you don't have life, he says. You're thinking that life is found in these words, but it's actually these words that point to me. That you need me to awaken your heart to apprehend the truth of God's word. These are the various ways in which God speaks. And we could probably add more uh, to this list. God speaks in technicolor. So when we think about understanding the voice of God, we must realize that God speaks in a variety of ways, and he is to be heard at the level of the heart. Do you have ears to hear his word? Now, we also have to ask the question, how do I know it's God's voice? Circumstances might happen in certain ways. Certain people might be certain, saying certain things. There may be unique manifestations taking place, whether natural or supernatural. You may even receive a passage of Scripture. By the way, uh, what does Satan use in the third temptation of Jesus? Scripture. He twists it. So just because you're hearing God's word, just because supernatural manifestations are taking place, the enemy loves to counterfeit the voice of God. Right? So how do I know that the ways in which God may be speaking to me is actually God and perhaps not myself and perhaps not other demons that want to confuse and pervert God's word? Well, the first thing that we need to recognize is, does it agree with Scripture? These are the two questions. Does it agree with Scripture? In order to understand God's voice, it's important that you would know the Word. You know, um, one of the illustrations that came to mind is, when, when I was a young kid, I would have probably been like three or four. You know, I grew up in the church, and after church, we'd have these fellowship times, and at times I'd get disconnected from mom. And start freaking out because I couldn't find mom and there's just this mob of people and you're just this little thing and you're, you're looking through the crowd and the noise of all the conversations and you've lost mom. But as a young child, I knew my mom's voice. Her S's in particular had this whistle to them that just kind of went above all the conversation that was there. And if I would just stop and listen into that whistle, I knew exactly where she was. And I could find her. Folks, that's the reality of Scripture. When, when you know Scripture, when, when you've spent those infant years, perhaps even in the faith, learning Scripture, you begin to discern His voice so that when the noise stands before you, what stands Above it, you can recognize, that's God's voice there. I know that because I know how he speaks. I know his character. I know his ways. I know how he's objectively spoken to me. And so I'm ready. My ears have been trained to know 
his voice. The second question, of course, does it agree with the Spirit of God? That might be a little more subjective to us, like, what does that exactly mean? When Jesus was on earth and he taught in the power of the Holy Spirit, people would often say, there's an authority to his voice. There's a power that is being communicated in what he is saying. Folks, when you hear the voice of God, it comes. It's like a drill sergeant coming in with all those newbies that are standing there. They don't know what's going on, you know, and the drill sergeant comes in and it's like, whoa, everyone stands to attention. When you hear the voice of God, it'll be like that. It'll be like a word that comes upon your soul with weight and power and authority. So, for instance, even this past week for me, it was the strangest thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to a sermon, uh, I think it was last Monday, just to kind of feed my own soul. I need the words. So I'm, I'm, I'm listening to and And as the preacher spoke, he used the term presumptuous sins. I was like, there was something as he said it that was like the drill sergeant walking in. It was like, whoa, my soul stood to attention, right? It was like something's being said here that, I, that comes with power and authority. I got to take note of it. Interestingly enough, later on that day, I'm listening to another sermon. And what does he reference? Presumptuous sins. And so immediately my soul is, is, is like, okay, whoa, 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 what's, what's happening? And then I'm doing some reading a little bit later. And guess what comes up? Presumptuous sins. And then I'm actually reading scripture in my devotions. And guess what comes up? Presumptuous sins. It's not so much, always, the repetition as it is that internal kind of connection that takes place from my soul to the Lord in which there is authority communicated. Something in my soul stands to attention to listen because God is attempting to communicate something specific that I need to learn and understand. But it's not always going to come with just power and authority that with the voice of God, it always comes with something of peace. If you're hearing things and you're taking things in and it's, it's creating a bunch of confusion and chaos and anxiety and I'm not sure, I'm not sure, oh, I'm not sure. That's not God's voice. It's not his voice. When he speaks, he speaks in a way in which brings peace. You should feel something of the feet of your soul just firmly being set. There's authority, there's power, but there isn't a peace that attends it. That says, oh, and by the way, there's also thankfulness. There's something of an agreement. Oh, God, you're good. Your truth is, is good for my soul. I may not even like what he's saying, but I'm like, oh, man, I need that. I need, I'll take it in. Doesn't feel good to my pride right now, but I'm going to take that in. It's giving me peace. It's coming with authority, and it's producing gratefulness in me. So does it agree with Scripture? Got to get to know the Word. But does it agree with the Spirit of God who is in me? Now, finally then, as we wrap things up, third is how can I get better at hearing the voice of God? Even Hebrews chapter 5 says that, that it, we're, we're supposed to be growing in a discernment of what is good and evil. You know, as a little kid, little toddlers, we got little toddlers running around our house right now. 
They don't always know what's best for them. You know, whether it's grabbing the hot stove or whether it's about to, you know, fall down the steps or whatever, right? There has to be a learned discernment of what is good and what is not good, what is going to create harm and is what is going to create peace. And so there's a learning that has to take place within their lives. So is true for us as we learn to hear the voice of God. There's something of discernment that, that must be wrought within our, our hearts and lives. How can I get better at hearing God's voice first and foremost? And this is what we've been going over in this series is time and attention. Right. Matthew, chapter six, verse six, Jesus actually says to his disciples, when you go into your room, you you shut the door and pray to your father in secret and he will reward you. That is to say, not just like, oh, have a quiet place. It is to cut out all the chaos and noise of the world so you can have some personal time with the Lord. You got an unbusy life, so you're just not in the rat race. We've got to do, got to do, got to do. Doing will almost always trump being. And that's where we have to slow down. That's the whole series. How do I busy my heart? I actually have to say, I'm going to schedule a time where I'm going to step aside from all the noise and I'm just going to be with the Father. I'm going to pray to him. And it's in those routines as we bring the word into the quiet place and we study and we learn it and we pray and we engage, we begin to kind of gain a discernment for his voice. We must have time and attention given to the Lord. But secondly, it must be with an aim to obey. We know that familiar passage in James chapter 4, verse 6. By the way, in context, it's all about friendship. The warning stands, friendship with the world is enmity with God. You better be careful what you're friends with. You you better be careful who you're walking with. You better be careful what ideas you're living by, right? So James chapter 4, verse 6, in that context, says, God opposed the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Those who actually listen to God's voice to do it are the ones that God will be speaking to. Right? Um, Yeah, we got to keep rolling. Sorry. Uh, The third one is know God's word. Just as I mentioned, know it, get a discerning uh, ear for God's word, what his character is like, what the truth of his word is like. Just like I was learning my mom's voice, so learn God's word so you understand his voice. But finally then, and you could have more here to talk through, practice the presence. Say, what in the world is that? Uh, There was an old guy what was it, 1600s, Brother Lawrence, who wrote Practicing the Presence. It's a beautiful little book um, where he talks about simply having a God awareness in all that you do. God is with you all the time. Guess what? God is speaking to you more than you realize. He's like hidden in plain sight right before you. You know, we have to be careful because oftentimes the language of Scripture can be confusing. We think, 
oh, those who know Jesus are going to hear his voice. Okay, like, where is he? You know, we're, we're waiting to hear something. And it's not that. There's something going on within the heart. His word is apprehended with, within. And so uh, even, even then, it's a discernment of his voice that must be learned and understood. But scripture will also then talk about seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord is not some like over the river and through the woods to find him, right? That, it's not geographical. Seeking the Lord is practicing his presence. I, I, need, I need to declutter all the stuff within to recognize that he's here, hidden in plain sight before me, with me, at the job site, as the boards are being cut, plumbing's getting done, within the home, diapers are being, ugh, you know? And it's in that, he's there, and he's communicating. You know, so we went and uh, helped out with Sonoma Bible Fellowship yesterday, wonderful day of work, uh, and Dan afterwards, you know, we cleaned out this, uh, this garage, and Dan's like, you know, this reminds me of just how God declutters our hearts. Okay, so, oh, God's speaking, right? Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground in those moments. Because he's taking something physical, an activity that you've all just participated in, and he's translating truth, he's weaving truth into those moments so that what you see, a decluttered garage, isn't just a decluttered garage, but God is saying, oh, yes, child, this is what I've done with your heart. He's speaking to us. This is how he communicates to us. We practice his presence. It's not about some geographical seeking after the Lord. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Now, if you're a snooty theologian, you're going to have some problems with that. Because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And you don't set God anywhere. But the psalmist is saying, I have set the Lord always before me. He's not some sort of idol that I just carry around with me, right? That I set before myself. No. What is he saying? He's saying I'm God conscious all the time. No matter where I go, I'm God conscious. God, what are you saying right now? How are you speaking? How do you want me to interact in this situation? How do you want me to go through this particular difficulty? How, how are you leading me in these moments? You're near me. You're working with me. So how, what are you saying in the moment? Um, I don't know if this is a helpful illustration, but I, but I thought, you know, it's the Clark Kent Superman illustration, right? It's, you know, if, if you worked with Clark Kent and that's all you knew of him and you, you were co-workers and good friends and like, hey, let's go to lunch together kind of thing and, and, and you'd hang out, but he's just another Joe Schmo. He's just another guy, suit and tie. He's nothing special. He's just another vulnerable human being in the world. But should he begin to pull back that button up and reveal himself for who he is, Superman, that changes everything for you. My friend is Superman. My coworker is where, where I go we, go, we go to lunch together. I, I'm walking to lunch different. I got Superman. I'm suddenly no, like, don't mess with me. Yeah, I, I, I got su Superman's walking with me, cape and all, man of steel, look out. Like, that changes every. But has Superman communicated anything to me? 
No. It's just his presence that communicates a world to you. Notice, Jesus is the word who says, I never leave you and never forsake you. I'm always with you. The man of steel, always with you. He's going to work with you tomorrow. He's stepping into your difficulties with you tomorrow. And he's going to be trying to lead you along. My sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. Let me lead you through your day. The man of steel walking before us. This is what it is to practice the presence. He doesn't have to write things in the sky. Right? He doesn't even have to speak audibly. Oftentimes, it's just by an awareness of his presence that changes everything. He's with me. I got confidence. I got hope. I got everything might be given away around me. Enemies may be coming against me. Man of steel is with me. I'm good. That communicates a world of difference to me. Time and attention is necessary. I've got to unwind myself from the chaos and be with God. But I want to be with God with an aim to obey him. I want to be with God with an aim to discern his voice according to his written word. And I want it wherever I go, whatever I do, I want to practice his presence. I want to see what he's doing, see what he's saying, see how he's leading. Know his presence that changes everything. So with that... We'll tackle a little more next week. But I just want to ask you then, do you hear the voice of God? Do you know the shepherd, the one who has laid down his life for you? And perhaps as the imagery came this morning as we were praying, some of us, I would say, are like communicating to God. Your relationship to God has been like through a keyhole. What's God saying? Are you there today? Not sure. Right? I've, I've, I've read this this morning and it doesn't seem like anything is coming across to me. Huh, what do I do? Right? We oftentimes relate to God like relating to him through a keyhole when there is like this panorama, this open like Grand Canyon Vista view of relationship that is to be had. God speaking through technicolor, through all the things we're doing, through all the relationships that we're engaging in, through even a lot of the difficulties that are taking place in our lives. God is communicating to us. His presence is with us. Do you hear his voice? Are you aware of him? Folks, the fundamental Evidence of a Christian is hearing God's voice, once again, because it's the fundamental accomplishment of the cross. The cross was accomplished so that you might be reconciled to God from a place in which you are enemy now to family. You are his in relationship to him, and it's important then that we must be those who learn to discern the voice of God. So let's pray. I want to pray for you now as musicians come. Um, yeah, I just want to, I want to pray for you that God opens the view from the keyhole to that grand vista view.
So, Lord, we come before you right now, and we need, we need spiritual discernment. We need spiritual discernment. Lord, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Lord, let it be that we become a people who aren't, um, who aren't given to all, all the various ways in which you speak above and beyond the very word that you've granted. You've placed it in our laps. Let the, your word be the primary way that we hear you and the primary way by which we weigh all other communication from you. Lord, teach us how to wield this sword of the Spirit. How it is that we leverage your word to receive your communication. Lord, I pray against the enemy who would want to communicate in all kinds of ways to pervert your word and also to cause us to think that we are hearing good things from you when it's only causing actual confusion and chaos to our very souls. Lord, we acknowledge the fact that this kind of the, the avenue of communication that you speak to us is oftentimes confused by the enemy. Many voices competing for our attention. So, Lord, we pray against the work of the enemy. We pray against how he would confuse your voice to us. Lord, we want to hear from you. Even as Solomon you gave him, you gave him an op, the option. You gave him the option of, of receiving wisdom from you. Translated in the Old Testament to be able to hear and discern your voice. Lord, we want to be Solomons. Who hear and discern your voice. And it has impact. It blesses others as we aim to obey it. From the keyhole to the vista view, Lord, open up our ears to hear in Jesus' name. Spirit of God, I pray that you would come upon your people and you would um, highlight this discernment that we are to uh, grow in. We want to grow in hearing your voice, whether it's by dreams and visions. Lord, you've been so kind even more recently with many of us to grant us dreams and visions that just edify our hearts, just encourage us in incredible ways. Lord, continue to speak. I pray that for many of us in our congregation, we would begin to just have a sensitivity to those particular things. Lord, whether it's circumstances, open doors, closed doors, Lord, give us a sense that this is how you're working, this is what you're doing, that there's a power and authority met with it, but also something of peace that attends it. Oh, walk through that open door. No man can shut it. No man can shut it. Lord, speak to us, we pray. And Lord, we don't want to um, even teach through this or think through these things without considering the potential that maybe our hearts have not been made alive to you. That we're still distant to you in our sins and have not turned from them and trusted in you, Jesus. Oh, good shepherd, would you reveal yourself to those who don't know you yet? Awaken their heart to receive your word. Would you declare over their hearts, live, live, live. 
Do the work of regeneration. Change us from the inside out, we pray. Change us so that we might hear your voice and be your people. We bless your mighty name. We bless your name. Jesus, it is so good to live this life with you. <laughs> with your word, with your communication, with the fact that you've laid down your life and now you just say, okay, follow me. The man of steel going before us, covering us. Thank you that we get to say, you are mine. <laughs> you are mine. Holy Spirit, we give you our hearts. Would you move upon them in Jesus' mighty name? Amen.
was just bringing something to mind that um, he reminded me of through um, through another pastor's preaching. Um, I think it, maybe this isn't the best way to say it, but obedience is not enough. Obedience is not enough. If you think the Christian life is all about obedience, 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 obedience is not enough. Think of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham obeyed, taking Isaac up to sacrifice him. If he would have just been done with listening to the voice of the Lord and just said, well, it's all about obedience. What would have happened? He would have forfeited the very promises that God gave him. He would have crucified the next generation because he didn't continue to listen to the voice of God. You may be walking in obedience because you've heard the voice of God, but you need the voice of God to keep obeying. We don't want to sacrifice the next generation because... We're a bunch of people who said, well, we were faithful to the Lord, but we didn't give our ear to him. We didn't go after him to discern his voice. You will crucify the next generation. You will throw away the very promises, the precious promises that God has given to you. Obedience is not enough. We listen to obey, to listen to obey. We keep on listening. There find what the Lord has in us for us. That's the way it's got to go. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, make us a people who yearn for your voice, who want to hear it from your word, who want to discern it, who want to go to the secret place say, I'm not doing all this busy American lifestyle craziness. I'm slowing it down to be with the one who is life for me. To hear his voice. For we cannot live by bread alone, but we must live. Nourishment. Life is found in your word. So help us to that end, Lord. In Jesus' name. Today.